Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast. And we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division Three coaches, some great high school fo- football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. Um, so please contribute to the show as much as you can. I also want to talk to you a little bit about our football development model, which is something we've rolled out here at USA Football. And this is really for you to uh, be able to help your youth football programs develop. It's about a long-term athlete development plan. It's something that comes off of the American development model, which is something that the USOC has put together. The idea is that we're able to teach skills in a progression starting at the youngest ages. We're also looking at the different game types we have, whether that's flag, which is non-contact, limited contact games like padded flag or tackle bar, and full contact, and the right progressions for contact teaching there as well. Be sure to check out all we do at footballdevelopment.com and check out what we're doing with the FDM, the football development model, at usafootball.com backslash fdm.usafootball.com. On today's podcast, we talked to FCS defensive coordinator Sam Seifkis from Wofford, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his background. We'll get into some questions that we have from our listeners and talk a little defense here. So, Coach, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Thanks, Keith. I, I really appreciate you having me, and it's an honor just to just to be on. A little bit of background about me. I'm from Wisconsin, obviously a very, very cold state compared to where I am right now. I grew up grew up there, and I was went to school at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. Not a very good player by any means, but played one year and, and had some injuries and kind of forced to stop playing. Ended up student coaching at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse for three years after that, and then I did a a stint, really an internship volunteer at Florida International, which is where I met my now head coach Josh Conklin. So met him at Florida International, did an internship there and then came back to University of Wisconsin Lacrosse and finished out my degree there. From there, I, I went to the University of Wisconsin, uh, was a graduate assistant there. I started out as a volunteer for a year while I was getting my master's and then kind of slid into getting my my last six months really paid for as a GA. And then once I finished that, I actually went to the University of Wisconsin-Platteville, same league as, as Lacrosse, and was the defensive coordinator there for two years. And then obviously uh, went now to Wofford College, where I've been for the past two years. This will be my third upcoming, and I've been at Wofford College ever since. So, Coach, uh, well, first of all, that Wisconsin League is is uh, one of the toughest in Division Three football, and it always seemed that your conference would end up going against mine. I was at Baldwin-Wallace in, in the OAC, and so there was always, you know, unfortunately probably for both of us, a lot of purple on TV for the Stag Bowl. 
But good football, a great place to get a start. I think, you know, at all of those places, while it is Division Three ball, those are schools where the competition is great in those conferences, top to bottom, the facilities, the coaching, all those things that, you know, you don't necessarily see across the, the country when you look at different, you know, different areas of Division Three or small college football. So just a great conference there. As you went through being a player and, you know, you got your start in coaching, who were your mentors and what did you learn from them? You know, probably one of the most influential people is actually the guy that, that I call my head coach now, uh, Josh Conklin. You know, he was the guy I first kind of volunteered for down at Florida International, a guy that I had stayed in contact with, and a guy that really gave me kind of my first shot, you know, obviously within the FCS. So he's been a big mentor of mine kind of throughout the course of, of this deal. Another guy that's that's been really influential to me is a guy named Josh Whitman, the athletic director at the University of Illinois Champaign. He was actually my athletic director at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse and then kind of made a couple of jumps and now is the AD at Illinois. He's been somebody I've always leaned on in terms of just advice within the profession and just kind of how to do business and, and be a professional. So those two people, I think, have been really influential, both Josh Conklin and Josh Whitman, and they've really kind of helped set me up in, in terms of where I want to be, who I want to be, and, and kind of how I want to go about my business. And coach, you, you know this, growing up as a coach, you, you get into it and you get your start there and you're not making much, if anything, at all. And and the aspiration is, you know, to be a, a position coach, get your own room, to be a coordinator, to coordinate at a successful school, become a head coach, et cetera. You're at the point now, you're at, you're at a very good program. You guys have been the, the SOCON champs here the last two years, you know, under your defense, under your guidance here. What advice do you have to coaches, I guess, as they're, quote unquote, climbing that ladder? You know, I think the, the cliche thing is to say that you know, there's never a job that's too small. You know, I take I take a great deal of pride in being a D3 guy. I want to be labeled as a D3 guy. You know, at those smaller levels, there's just a lot of things that you have to do in order just to play the game. And I think you really fall in love with the actual game because of all the stuff that you, you have to do outside of it. So I think having the ability to do those small things that are kind of you know, not necessarily a part of the actual game of football are really important and have given me a great perspective on, you know, what's what's actually important in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, I think doing those things, especially when I was at a very young age, have helped me understand what's important, what do the players need to know, what do the coaches need to know. But it's given me a lot of, of great feedback throughout the course of my career in terms of how to be a pro and go about the right things and, and look at the right things to do all the time. So coach, your approach, uh, I guess, let's just start with your overall philosophy now. And, you know, it's, it's fun that uh, you learn from these guys and early on, uh, sometimes we do it for, for just not understanding ourselves completely or not understanding a better way. We, we cut, we copy and paste a little bit, but eventually we figure that out and we, we sculpt together what is our own philosophy and what fits with our style, our personality, et cetera. For you, what's your, your philosophy on coaching? You know, I think uh, the biggest thing, if, if we're talking from a schematic standpoint, to me it's always about the one-on-one matchup. Uh, a lot of what I do from you know a game plan standpoint or, or a matchup standpoint or any of those things, it's I want to find who our best player is and I want to match them up, match them up on their worst player. 
And I want to try to do that over and over and over again um, in a lot of different ways and a lot of uh, different varieties. I think if you can kind of stick to that mold and stick to that model and be creative in the ways in which you do it, whether it's on first and 10 and you're trying to stop the run and attacking their worst run blocker, or whether it's third and 10 and you're trying to get after the quarterback and you're trying to attack a certain protection against a certain player. I think when you have the ability to understand why an offense is doing the things that they're doing, it allows for you to really master that portion of the scheme and really attack the philosophy of the offense that you're playing. So I think that's that's been really instrumental for me. Um, I've learned that along the various places I've been. You know, Wisconsin, I, I felt like, was one of the places that did a really nice job of that um, in understanding how to uh, attack, you know, just certain players. And at the end of the day, you're playing you're playing with players. You're not playing with, you know, X's and O's on a board. And I think that's really important to understand. And you have to understand, you know, what your players can do and what they can't do, but also what the offensive players can do and what they can't do. And I think week in and week out, a lot of the time that I spend is based on figuring out who those players are and then uh, putting them in, in a position to be successful. Coach, as a, as a D3 guy, though, you know, you've been able to, you know, experience things at different levels. You were at Platteville and Coach Emmy there, right? Yes, sir. And then, uh, and he's he's been on the podcast before. Just does an excellent job there. But you also been at the FBS level with the Badgers, Wisconsin Badgers. You worked with defensive coordinator Dave Aranda, now the head football coach at Baylor. And I mean, you know, the Dave, the whole Dave Aranda, Ron Roberts, all that that philosophy, I think, is huge across the country. So interested to hear about what what you've learned from those guys, and I guess how that's move forward to what you're doing. But talk to us just a little bit about all the, you know, the experiences at the different place. I mean, you've, you've done a lot here as a young coach. Yeah. You know, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to, like you said, have a lot of different experiences, you know, and I think probably the most important thing is I've done it in a lot of variety of ways. You know, I've, I've been in a lot of different schemes, four, three schemes, four, two, five schemes, three, four schemes, where I've learned under a lot of different variant people as well as just different coaching styles. And I think the more you can engulf and the more you can learn, especially early on in your career, you just have so much more advantage over people that have been at, at you know, one place and not to take away from, from people that have been at one place. Cause there's a lot of people that are very successful that have done that. But I think per, for me personally, that's, that's the one thing that's helped my growth a lot is being at a lot of different places and having experiences and, being able to see how other people do it. And then you, you learn to adapt it in your own philosophy, in your own way. And I think me personally, I'm a, I'm a guy that does a lot by observing. And so having the ability of the last, you know, eight, nine years of just observing people and how they do it has been something that's been really prominent in my career and how I've been able to kind of take it and, and go from there. So jumping ahead to where you are right now, Wofford defense, the Terrier defense. Uh, talk to us about the pillars of your defense. What is the foundation? What do you guys build on? What do you guys talk about in that first team meeting in the fall as everybody gets to camp? The biggest thing, you know, and this is going to probably be every coordinator on defense that will say this, but everything we do is going to be set upon stopping the run. You know, I know that's cliche, but – Everything we do in terms of our scheme is going to be built on that, you know, whether it's looking at the front and how we want to uh, position it against different formations or different schemes, 
We want to be able to stop the run. We do that in a lot of different ways. We want to show the guys on paper, in a walkthrough, in a live team rep, in a pod rep. We want to do it in every possible way that they know how to how to fit the run, how to stop the run, so that when it comes to Saturday, that's inherent in their brain. And we feel like if we can take one section of the game away, that we're going to have a really, really good chance to win the football game. And so the first pillar is always going to be stop the run for us. We want to do that. We want to keep people out of our out of our end zone. Nobody should be in our end zone. We want to be, you know, very good elite on in the red zone. And I think the third thing and one of the most crucial things is we want to stop people on third down. We take a great deal of pride in in the money downs. A lot of people call it, but we want to stop people on third down, whether it's third and three or whether it's third and 12. We we put a huge emphasis and urgency set on getting off the field on third down. And I think those three pillars, if you can do those three things, you're going to have a lot of success as a defense. So that's I would say those three things are, are very prominent to us. Coach, then looking at at the way you do things on the field, what do you feel is in your approach, whether it's how you game plan, how you practice, how your individual periods are handled, et cetera, what do you feel are the things that set you apart and, and enable you to perform at an, an elite level? And again, you guys are a top 20 defense in, in the FCS, so uh, accomplishing a lot on the field. I would say if I were to pinpoint one thing, I think that's, led us to a lot of success it's repetition i'm a big believer that if if we have student athletes or players that they take a hundred reps at four or five schemes that are what they're going to see on saturday then they're going to know how to stop that run or stop that pass play or whatever it might be one of the things that i learned a while back is we kind of track and we kind of sub we categorize it into three different categories we call it you know a plays, B plays, C plays. So A plays will have a cutoff point. We want to we want to see these plays the most, right? It could be five plays, could be 10 plays, however we section it off. But we want to see these plays because we know on Saturday without a shadow of a doubt, this is what they're going to run. And then we move on to obviously the B plays. We'll go through those. You know, we're going to, we're going to rep those probably half the amount of times that we rep the A plays but we want to make sure that they see them, whether it's walkthrough, whether it's live rep, whether it's on a piece of paper in a run fit on video, we want to see those B plays about half the time of the, of the A plays. Um, And then the last one is obviously the C plays. We're going to show those to the guys. It might be on a Friday walkthrough right before the game. They've maybe run those one, two, three times throughout the course of the season. It's not their, it's not what they hang their hat on but we're going to show it to the guys to to just at least say, hey, we've seen this. It might have only been in a walkthrough rep, but they're going to see it. And so I think, you know, to circle back and answer the question, the reason I I attribute a lot of the success that the players have had on the field is because they have so much repetition that they don't even realize, whether it's in the film room, it's in a walkthrough, it's in a live rep they're going to get the repetition of the plays that they're going to see on Saturday. And it's going to become inherent to them by the time we get through those four practices throughout the course of the week. So coach, you know, again, looking at, at things you do on the field, someone flips on the film in, in, you know, what they're going to see of you, what, what things do you expect out of those players? What's the performance level when you turn it on that, uh, really is this you look at it and say yes that's that's terrier defense 
Yeah, I would say a couple of things. Number one, you're going to see a really good fundamental technique. Uh, when you watch our D-line play, Coach Smith, our defensive line coach, I mean, the first thing you notice is those guys are going to be locked out. Their shoulders and hips are going to be squared at the line of scrimmage. They're going to be able to tear off and make a lot of plays. You're going to, you're going to see very fundamental technique sound football, especially up front in the trenches. I think that's probably first first and foremost. That you know, Secondly, you're going to see a team that tackles and plays with a lot of great effort. You know, one of the things I think that we do a tremendous job of is we, we teach the tackling over and over and over again from the ground up. And so you'll see our defense, they, they tackle with a great deal of effort and attitude, but there's also a ton of technique that goes into that as well. And then off of that, obviously, is going to be the effort. You know, I, I hope when you watch the tape, you know, the thing that we, we notice and we take a lot of pride in is that you see guys that are, are trying to get in a tight shot. Um, and that's something we take a great deal of pride in. We, we grade it. We, we put it through in all of our practices. We make sure that the guys are running the football every single play. So obviously there, there are things that doesn't take any talent, but we take a great deal of pride in those three things, and, and we try to do them at a very high level. Coach, for you, you know, it's it's not just the SoCon. It's, you know, you look at your schedule. You guys are are playing, you know, Clemson last year. You got uh, South Carolina this year. So, um, you know, and, and add that to the, the great conference you're in, a very challenging schedule, you know, and, and when you're, especially when you're going up against those those bigger schools, you know, I mean, people people certainly don't give you a chance. But, you know, what's the attitude? How do you guys approach that week? as far as something that, again, is, is a little bit different on your schedule, right? You you got Clemson coming up. Kind of a big game, I'm sure. A memorable game for your guys. What's the approach in a game like that? To me, the approach really doesn't – it doesn't change a whole lot. You know, I know obviously the players are going to be a little bit more hyped up for the game, but the approach for me doesn't change. We want to find the weakest player on their offense, what he does and what he does not do well. You know, so if we went in and we played an FBS opponent, we're going to look at who that weakest player is and we're going to try to exploit him over and over and over again. And that's no different than when we go and play a a Southern Conference team. We want to try to do that and win those matchups a lot. And so I think, you know, the players are obviously going to be hyped when we play an FBS opponent. But from a coaching standpoint, we want to keep the scheme very simple. And we also want to just do a great job of, of winning the one-on-one matchups that we feel that we have the ability to win at a pretty high rate. So a lot of that doesn't change. We just know that we're going to be playing a, an opponent where the margin for error is a lot less than if we played a team that's within our own conference. Coach, getting into some of the details here, we do have some questions from our listeners and our, our followers. Jesse Courier had a question for you. I think this is a good one. Coaching in an option program, how do you prepare your guys for spread passing teams and other common offenses that uh, you will see throughout your season? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really good question. You know, one of the things that I think you got to do a really good job of is throughout the course of spring ball and fall camp, you've got to be able to utilize that time to incorporate those, those different schemes that you're going to see. Uh, our offensive coordinator, Wade Lang, he does a great job of allowing us to kind of see those looks. And we've got the skill players that we feel are just as good as anybody in the country. So they have the ability to kind of go into those sets, um, whether it's a trip set or a, a twin set, whatever it happens to be, um, and run those schemes. And they run them at a high level. And we feel like we get just as good of a look out of that as we do some of the option stuff they do. So, 
what we try to do is is make sure that we get enough of those looks in spring and fall camp. And if we, you know, if we're playing one of those teams later on in the year, it might be a bye week that we take a sun, you know, whatever our our last practice day is, and and utilize a, a 10, 15 minute block and and put those schemes in and and put that in so we can have some of that uh, sugar coated in throughout the course of the season, so we're seeing it a little bit more. And I think that's one of the the beauties of the Southern Conference is you're going to see everything. You're going to see air raid. You're going to see the triple option. You're going to see 11 personnel, 11 personnel multiple. Like you're going to see everything, which makes you a much better defensive coordinator because you have to adjust to a lot of those things. So um, I think to answer your question, you got to do a great job of, of preparing in the off time in order to have some success when you're playing those teams that are a little bit different than the offense that, that we have. Now, you know, you going back to the beginning, you talked about the, the run stop being an important thing. Do you think there's some things there, as you, especially as you guys go through camp and you're going against each other, good on good, et cetera, that some of that mentality, some of that just, I guess, the repetition of seeing, I know it's a different kind of run, but seeing the run game, that you guys are able to develop that and be good at it because of what you see early on in camp? Yeah, there, there's there's no question. One of the things I think our offense does the best is they run a – a variety of, of schemes, whether it's option, pin pull, inside zone, outside zone, mid zone. I mean, they're going to run anything you've seen. They're going to run it. And for our guys, it, it forces us defensively to teach in concepts where we can't teach by scheme, which I think makes us a lot stronger fundamentally. So when we're going against the offense, a lot of what we do is this is the concept. This is how we stop it but we're not teaching it, hey, this is the call to beat that. It's This is conceptually how we do it, and the kids understand that. So it's a it's a matter of um, teaching, going back to the fundamentals, understanding how to tackle. And so we don't have to teach a lot of that scheme because we're going to see a lot of it from our offense. So that's one of the, the major advantages I see when we get into fall camp and spring ball is that we have the ability to see a lot of different run schemes so that when we get to the season, we've already seen everything. And, and it really puts us, I think, at, a, at, a, at an advantage going into the season. Coach Gibbs is from Palmetto High School in Florida and just wants to know how you play 10 and 11 personnel. And I think, you know, at the high school level now, that, that's pretty prominent. You see, you know, most, most teams, and I know at least in our area here, 10 and 11, right? They're going back and forth between those things. And a lot of the 11 personnel is with that tight end off the ball. So your thoughts on how you play that, that those personnel groups? Well, I, get, I guess if I put in the question more to a run scheme, I would say, you know, we, we want to have two to three different fronts that we're going to use really against any opponent. But if it's 10 and 11 personnel, primarily what we're going to do is we're going to have a three down front and a four down front. Our, you know, our, our base defense is we're a tight front team. You know, I know the, the Alabamas of the world and the Georgias of the world call it the mid front, but we play with a tight front, four I, zero, four I. We'll do some movement out of it. But a lot of what we do, especially against those 11 off-the-ball personnel sets, is we're going to play our tight front. We want to play vertical. We have we play with a little bit different mentality from the linebacker position that I think some of the FBS schools play with, with that mint front. We want to be downhill and treat it almost like a 4-3 run defense. We want to be setting the line you know, as the ball snapped and creating a new line of scrimmage. And I think a lot of the, the concepts that we talked about previously with um, being locked out with our defensive line and playing with great fundamental technique goes into 
how we play that front. So I would tell you we're, you know, we're a 3-4 defense that plays with a 4-3 principal mentality when it comes to stopping the run. So when we play against those 11 personnel teams, you know, we're going to base primarily out of that tight front, but we like to slide into an over and under front as well to kind of change the tempo and let our defensive line play a little bit more vertical, um, kind of get into some gaps and play, uh, you know, shade three, five and uh, allow for us to kind of get downhill just even a little bit more faster than we do out of our tight front. So I think that's allowed us to kind of change the pace on people because we can shift in and out of, out of uh, three and four down principles. And then from the coverage standpoint, we're about 50-50 post and split. So we've got the ability to play match or quarters, and we feel like we can match up against the 11 and 10 personnel teams pretty well being so balanced in our coverage piece. So, Coach, changing this is not a question we have from our listeners, but I had Tyler Roll on the other day, offensive coordinator at North Dakota State, who, I mean, if you watch those guys, those guys are getting into, you know, 22 personnel, 12 personnel. You know, they'll they'll get in your 10 and 11 as well. But now you start to add those gaps where, you know, a lot of the the tight front, you'll see that, you know, I mean, it's it's a perfect answer to, you know, the 10s, right? The 10 personnel. But as you start to add the gaps, and I guess they're spreading those gaps out across the line of scrimmage, how does that affect your mentality and what you're going to look to do with a, a defensive front? Well, I think probably very similar. You know, I, I, we want to do a lot of the same same scheme. So, you know, we might have a tight, tight front principle um, when we're playing against a 12, 22, 21 personnel set. But we may shade the nose now instead of playing in a zero. We may put the four eye in a three instead of playing in a three instead of a four eye. We may move the four eye to a five so we can alleviate some pressure from the tight end coming down and whamming back on the backside backer. You know, one of the things I think our, our defensive back coach does a tremendous job of is we'll crank the safeties down and incorporate those guys in the run game as well because we do see teams that are 21 and 12 and incorporating those guys down in the fit faster especially with the tighter splits and and bringing the tight ends into the game I think alleviates a lot of that pressure when we're playing in more of a three down principle but I think to your point having the ability to get into more of a four down mindset playing your boundary outside backer is more of a a five technique or a six allows for you to kind of create a better matchup against some of those heavier personnel sets but I think it allows you to kind of stop the run even a little bit better than some of your three down principles do. So I think, again, having the ability to not just stay in one thing, you know, whether it's moving to a, a four down principle or whether it's, you know, pre-snap or post-snap, I think those things really help you when you're playing those heavier personnel set teams. So from a, a personnel perspective, I know, you know, the, the concept is becoming, I mean, because a, a lot of offensive teams like to leave their guys on the field, right? Be able to, to run multiple personnel uh, or same personnel, multiple sets, formations, etc. The idea on defense then has become that that hybrid defender, or you know, to an extreme, the guys who call it a positionless defense. You know, as you're looking at teams who who might change personnel like that, are you a guy who likes to match personnel, or are you looking for those guys? For example, an outside linebacker who can walk up now and play a tight end on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, you know, I, it's funny. I would say the last two years I've been a match-the-personnel type of guy just because of the experiences I've had in the past and, and the people that I've kind of learned learned under. 
as I've kind of grown within the profession, I would say it's it's veering more towards the positionless defense. You know, the guy that we recruit at the field outside backer position is more of a big safety. We want to get to the point where that guy can do a little bit more stuff for us in the coverage piece. You know, and the boundary outside backer guy is probably a little bit more of a pass rusher, so we can maybe shift into some four-down fronts and allow him to play some games up front for us. So I think I'm veering more towards the positionless defense just because it allows you a little bit more multitude and and the ability to kind of play a lot of different fronts and coverages. But I would say previous to that, it's been more so of having the ability to match the personnel. So I've I've kind of gone both on those, but I think I'm pushing more in the direction of the uh, positionless. Yeah, and as that evolves, I guess what thoughts have you given to practice structure and developing those skill sets, you know, I mean, because if a guy, as as an example, is just the guy who plays up on a line of scrimmage and Russ is the passer, but now you get into the positionless defense and he's got to play out there in space sometimes, he plays up on the line sometimes, you know, all, all these different positions. Have have you thought anything in terms of how that affects the practice structure? I mean, no doubt. I think a lot of, I think a lot of how the practice has got to be structured is they've got to have the ability to do all those things you just mentioned, you know, and, and the people that are most impacted by that, in my opinion, are the outside linebackers in a, in a three, four defense. So those guys, you know, when it comes time to do seven on seven or skelly, you've got to split those guys in half. You know, some of those guys got to go do pass rush and learn and, and get better at that playing against a tackle. And then some of those guys have got to get the coverage drops and you've got to put those guys in position that they're going to, play in their weakest part of their game and, and get stronger at that throughout the course of the season. So you've got to be able to break that up. And I think no different than that, you know, if we're doing an inside run period, you've got to have the inside, or I'm, I'm sorry, the outside linebackers be doing the same thing. Some are up there with you in the inside, in the inside run period, being able to set edges, being able to uh, play in the trenches a little bit. And then you've also got to be able to send some of those guys with the DBs and be able to work some of the coverage piece that they're going to work on from a, a half-line standpoint. So to your point, you've got to be able to adjust and adapt and, and make time to do that in, a, in an organized practice structure in order for those guys, I think, to have a lot of success in doing a lot of different things. So, Coach, you got another question here from Brett Tavo, who is the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at Father Ryan High School in Nashville, Tennessee, wants to know – when you scout and game plan, how much are you focused on backfield alignment tendencies, depth alignment, side of the running back, as opposed to general information, personnel formation, down and distance field area? So I coach the inside linebackers. So the, the backfield set to me is extremely important. And, you know, obviously we're going to, from a defensive standpoint, as we game plan as a staff, we're going to look at all that stuff, you know, backfield set with a sniffer involved. Is he to the sniffer? Is he away from the sniffer? Is he deep? Is he even? I mean, we're going to look at all that stuff just like anybody else does. But to me, the backfield set's extremely important for the inside linebacker play. I think those guys give away a lot of, a lot of the tells. And so a lot of how I game plan and just specific to the inside linebacker and how I teach them is going to be based on what the, the running backs are doing. You know, I think, when you look at the other stuff, the general information, the personnel formation, D&D field area, that stuff I think is probably a little bit more prominent to the tendencies that we see more so than the backfield set. That's just kind of what I've come across the last couple of years as I've coordinated. And so I try to look at some of that stuff probably a little bit more in depth than I would say the running back alignment. 
the running back alignment stuff is extremely important though and how I teach the players. Um, a lot of what we do is taught off of it's not about what we do scheme-wise, it's about what the offense does. And so I feel it's extremely important that our scheme has to be so easy that we can focus on really what the offense is doing and less time and about what we're, we're doing. So I know throughout the course of the week, if I'm answering questions about what our scheme is, then we're in trouble and I need to back it off. If I'm answering questions about what the offense is doing, then we're in a really good place. Coach, I firmly b- believe in having coached this game for so long that, you know, in looking at playbooks, both sides of the ball, the, the best ones to me are player friendly, meaning that you and I can go and study this and know a ton of terminology, an encyclopedia full of terminology, and talk ball in, in so many different ways and understand where all this terminology comes from. But if it's not set up in a way that makes it, as you said, simple for the player, easy to learn, easy to recognize and understand and do what they need to do, uh, you kind of put your players behind. So from from that perspective and what you said there, right, keeping it simple for your guys, how do you structure things? What's what's the overriding, I guess, fundamentals in, in how you're going to put together that playbook so that it is, as I said, user-friendly? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think a lot of it goes back to just keeping everything extremely basic so they're isn't a lot of gray area. You try to keep it as black and white as humanly possible. You know, you want to give the guys as much of assurance that, hey, if they run it here, this is what I'm doing. If they run it away, this is what I'm doing. And there's no in between. You know as well as I do that offenses are going to try to screw with those rules as much as they possibly can. But we try to give them very basic information so that they can just play the game and play within their fundamental technique. You know, I think one of the things we found out this off season as we were going, we were fortunate enough actually to have spring football. And one of the things we kind of looked at is, you know, we had a lot of success on third down the last couple of years and our guys are excited to play on third down. We, you know, we've got a sub package that they like to be in. We, we feel like we can get off the field at a, at a very high clip. And so one of the things we wanted to incorporate was th- those things that we do in that sub package and incorporate it within our base package against mixed down. And so a lot of the things that we do in that sub package, we can easily transfer it over and include it in our base package. And so now we're at a point where our guys look at the whole defense as like it's a third down. And there's a lot of urgency in how we play first and 10 because we've got principles to how we play third and 10. I think a lot of that is, has been extremely beneficial for us because the guys, I think, see it as it, it's fun to play first and 10 as well as it is to play third and 10 and they understand the importance between the two and so I think that's been extremely beneficial for us because it was one of the studies we did the offseason of how can we make the first and 10 more important to the guys and get better in that and I think including some of those principles with some simple movements and things that we can do that we've done on third down has really helped us on first and second down. Well, Coach, just a lot of great stuff. You've learned from some great people, and you know it was exciting to to be able to get you here on the podcast and talk ball with you. But of all those great things you're doing, what's the one thing you'd say really gives your your guys the winning edge? That's a good question. It's a loaded question. Well, it's on on and off the field, right? Doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be anything to do with what's happening X and O wise. Yeah, you know, I I really believe this. I think even way before my time, you know, Wofford's done a tremendous job of, of winning football games. 
And I would say the one the one reason that they win a lot of football games and we win a lot of football games to this day is because there's a tremendous amount of discipline. We have just a great group of guys, of players, staff, I mean, that just they are self-starters every single day. Um, and so it makes your job as a coordinator extremely easy because you know that you're not the smartest guy in the room, you know, when when it comes to game planning you know that you've got players that are working extremely hard to get better every single day. And you're not worried about that in the off season. So I would say the number one thing that's, that shows up time and time again, and why we win a lot of football games is because there's a ton of discipline throughout the course of the, of the culture that's been set by coach Conklin. And it's just, it's amazing to me because it shows up all the time. And it's something that's, that's extremely beautiful to be a part of. Coach, before we leave, for our listeners out there, please share the areas that you recruit. Yes, sir. So I, uh, we split the state of Georgia in quadrants, and I've got kind of the northwest portion of Georgia, Cobb County, Fulton County, DeKalb County, and then I've also got Chattanooga, Tennessee. And really my portion of uh, Georgia kind of goes from the northwest portion of Atlanta all the way to Rome and Darlington and all the way kind of up there as you kind of get into Chattanooga, Tennessee. So that's kind of where I've got recruiting. And coach for our listeners, please share your, your Twitter handle. Yes, sir. So it's at coach Seifkis and then the last name is spelled S I E F K E S. Coach again, thank you for taking the time. Great to learn about what you're doing there at Wofford and good luck to you and the Terriers in 2020. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Coaches, again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond what you've already done. Uh, check it out, all of our, our program development for youth football at fdm.usafootball.com. Again, check out our systems for blocking, tackling, and defeating blocks at footballdevelopment.com. If you register with your email, you get your choice of three free videos. There's some great things in there. I think things that as you get going again, can get into the summer and maybe make up on some things that you might have lost if you had a spring ball, if you had time here in the spring to work on football. Some great drills for all those phases of contact. If you're enjoying the podcast, please have it over to iTunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week.